Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 87 237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Monday morning, the 14th of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The Cade Mila Fulcher, kind crack and cure of Irish tourism making Ireland a great place to visit is under pressure. Ireland is developing a somewhat different reputation. Ireland is an expensive country to come to on holiday with near neighbours offering better value for money. Renting a car is not just expensive but there's fewer opportunities with only half the number of cars available to rent in 2019 available today. There's a lack of staff and customer service can be poor and then there's the difficulty of finding somewhere to stay with many beds and hotels, B&Bs, hostels and so on being used to accommodate refugees with huge demand for places as a result of the war in Ukraine. Taoiseach, I'm calling for a frank and open debate on the impact the massive amount of refugees and asylum seekers coming into this country are having and the fact that they're having on our services, be it doctors social welfare offices, um, hospitals, education, and our hospitality uh, industry in Kerry. Uh, And we're very worried about that, uh, that it it could be dismantled. And I'm saying to Taoiseach, it's not enough to say that you'll provide beds and roof over their heads. We need to have the other services. Our own people can get into social welfare offices. You're looking for a debate. I'm looking for an honest and open debate here inside the chamber. We're representing the county of Kerry here. And and our tourism industry could be dismantled together with what's been happening by housing in relation to the Airbnbs closing down so many beds. Where are, we going, where are we going to be in March? In March, indeed. That's Danny Hilly Ray speaking in uh, the Dáil last month. This week, Fulcher Ireland is saying it agrees with the Irish Tourism Industry Confederation.
Corporation, which last week said that the level of tourist accommodation being used to house Ukrainian refugees and asylum seekers will have an enormous effect on tourism next year. From March, as you heard Danny Healy Ray say a moment ago. And uh, there is a, a particular problem in parts of County Kerry. Let's speak to Michael Healy Ray, Independent TD for the county. And a very good morning to you. And thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Is it possible to strike a, a balance? We all know the terrible situation that people are, are leaving the Ukraine and other countries from to come here. Uh, is it possible to get that balance so that we can offer refuge to people like those from Ukraine fleeing war and at the same time protect tourism and that hotels would be open to tourists? Good morning, Michael, to you and your listeners. Well, I suppose, first of all, uh, we have to be balanced in our approach to this whole issue. And at the very beginning, before we had one, for example, Ukrainian person coming to carry I suggested at um, a budgetary oversight committee, which I'm a member of, I suggested to the Minister for Finance that surely when we would be what I'd call playing our part to assist the people of the Ukraine, that we should have a cap. And the cap I actually suggested at the time for the size of Ireland was that if 20,000 people were to come from the Ukraine and be housed and be given all of the other services, because it is very factual to say it's not enough in life to say to anybody, uh, we will put a roof over your head because with a roof, services are required, be they medical, educational, the different supports that a person needs. And of course, very importantly, the opportunity to work. I think you proposed that cap of 20,000 in May. We're in November and I take it the figure now is more like 60,000. Well, the answer I was given at the time by the minister and the one thing would have to be fair to him about is he's, he's consistent anyway because at that time he said absolutely no way. We are not in any time in the future going to envisage a cap today, this day, the present, uh, the Taoiseach and, and incoming Tarnished and vice versa. The two of them are at, at, uh, at loggerheads with each other to emphasise that under no circumstances are they going to stop. Mm. So, it, it, and I mean, Roderick O'Garman, the minister, came out the other day and he stated that we have to prepare for 15,000 more people coming in between here and uh, Christmas. And I think so, what he was suggesting was that there wouldn't be beds for 15,000 because... What he, what he said was they were expecting 15,000 mm. people. So, yes, it is true to say that there is a worry and a concern that the hospitality sector in Ireland is terrible in part. Mm. Having beds available for people, whether they're coming in bus tours, whether they're coming in and hiring a car, we have to be able to keep those people. Because if we're not, it's not just the hotel in that, that their income is changed because the shop next door that might be a gift shop selling clothes, mm. providing teas, coffees, dinners, uh, all of the other sales that are involved in tourism. And you see, tourism in Ireland has built up, I suppose, really over the last 60 or 70 years, we've perfected it. We've invested heavily. Families, businesses have invested heavily in what I call the tourism product mm. and making Ireland a destination. And as you know, uh, Kerry, of course, is the major uh, tourist destination in Ireland. And indeed, in Europe, mm. there is no place better in the world to go to than mm. County Kerry. And at the moment, an awful lot of our bids are uh, gone over to housing people on a full-time basis. And the question has to arise here, 
in in March yeah. when the buses and when the tours will want to come again, what is going to happen at that stage? It's not very easy if you have a hotel full of people who have sought refuge here and who are living in that accommodation and to say to them, well, we're very sorry, now you have to leave and where are they going to go to then? Mm. So we are, in a way, you, you, the worst you can ever do is give a person a, a false sense of security. The people that are coming here and that have sought and been given accommodation, are they going to be assured that they're going to be left in that accommodation? And you would wonder, mm. is there not a great argument for saying, we've done our part, and now let other countries, for example... Mm. Well, I, I, think that, I think that is the point, uh, uh, to, 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 to a large degree, about that 15,000, that there wouldn't be anywhere for them to stay and that they would be on the streets in December. Uh, thankfully, it seems that message has gone out and it's probable that not so many people will come here from Ukraine uh, as a, a result. But if you close the door to people coming into the country, what does that mean for those people? Yes, it, it means they won't be on the streets of Dublin or Killarney as the case may be or if they are in a hotel uh, somewhere in in County Kerry there may not be a a doctor or a school available for them but it also means that they won't be travelling to work in places like Kiev, where only in the last few weeks we saw Iranian drones bombing people civilians uh, going about their daily business But you see this is another very important point when we're talking about uh, people that are coming here we have to remember we're not talking about a commodity. We're not talking about uh, goods. We're talking about human beings who are fleeing a place where it's horrible, it's terrible what is happening. And we have to be very conscious of that. But we also have to be conscious of the fact that we are a small nation. Mm. No one can point their fingers at us and say, well, the Irish haven't done their part. We have done our part. We're doing our part. We are a very kind and considerate nation. Mm. And we are always... how would you call it? Step up. Uh, so, so is it that you're saying that we can't do both? That we can't take so many people? Yes. Uh, and does that mean that they have to uh, be uh, denied refuge? Uh, if they were coming here, um, does it mean that they should stay in Ukraine, for example? No, I want to ask a very important question. What about the rest of Europe? What about countries that are a lot richer and, and greater in their financial mm. situation than every, we are? What, every what, every what, European country is taking refugees. Can I make a point, yeah, yeah, please? Yeah. What are England doing? What yeah. in the name of... <laughs> They're not a European country. What are, <laughs> what are Germany doing? And, and I mean, I think, I, I think the British left uh, the European Union uh, because uh, they didn't want people coming into the country. Uh, I mean, there's a, a basic British racism in that sense, is there not? That is very hard to make a point, Michael, when we won't, make, when we won't let a person finish it. Do you know, I, I leave right there and I leave you talk away well because I wanted to make a point and every time I try to make the point, you just keep talking away. Okay. You invited me on the show. I'll yeah. either make mm. the point, or you can talk away yourself. Well, I was hoping that we, I was hoping that we would have a discussion. But go ahead, make the point. No, yeah. sure, you can't discuss anything with you anymore because when a person goes making the point, you keep butting in, and it should, you know, I let you out. Well, you asked me what about the British. I gave you a suggested answer. I was going finishing it, but yeah. again, you wouldn't let a person... Look, it's impossible to continue the interview. We'll talk again when we're able to interview a person and ask them a question and let them have an opportunity to answer it, all right? Okay, well, it seems as though you're going to go. I thought you were going to go. I'm not sure exactly what... uh Got uh, Michael or yeah Michael Healy Ray uh, uh, as uh, animated uh, there uh, as he he did, uh, but there were 
Uh, some other issues uh, that I had hoped uh, to raise uh, as well as here the points uh, that Michael Healy Ray was suggesting because undoubtedly there is a, a problem with uh, beds uh, for tourists in this country and if they are taken up by people who are, are not here uh, to be on holiday in this country uh, well then uh, that uh, speaks for itself and if uh, there aren't tourists in hotels if there are refugees in the hotels well then uh, it's quite probable that the local shops uh, the local uh, restaurants uh, and other centres uh, whether they're offering uh, some of uh, these um, adventure holiday type things uh, to people they're, they're not going to have any business and how can they be supported and if the only beds are available are, are those tourism beds uh, I'd have uh, liked to have asked Michael Healy Ray uh, what support should be given to those businesses so that they don't fold. But also, not only that, are, are they the only beds that are available in the country? Uh, because uh, we were told that there were thousands and thousands of people who had offered accommodation to refugees coming from Ukraine, and a, a lot of those offers didn't transpire. Uh, they didn't turn into places for people to stay coming into this country. And why is that the case? And why? Uh, it, it, it does it continue to be the case and can it be turned around uh, because there is this issue of payment and a lot of people were very concerned about people coming into their homes and uh, it's already difficult uh, when we're looking at electricity bills and heating bills and uh, the cost of groceries and everything going up to think of an additional set of people coming into the family and all of those bills increasing in line with it. As a response to that uh, the government initially offered €400 Euro to anybody taking in a, a tourist and now that's increased to €800 Euro for anybody uh, did I say a tourist, I mean a, a refugee I beg your pardon, for anybody taking in a, a refugee from Ukraine the initial offer from government was €400 Euro a month and now that's increased to €800 Euro a, a month uh, and uh, it'll uh, come into play from the 1st of December uh, and I'm not sure if that's going to make a huge difference to people. Will people who are saying they're finding it difficult to pay their bills? Because we're getting calls all of the time from people every day saying, I can't afford this, I can't afford that, I can't do that, and uh, I don't know how I'm going to make it to the end of the month, I'm going to have to turn my lights off and all of that kind of thing. Uh, if you were to take somebody into your house, uh, would you be willing to do that for €800? Euro? Uh, it's a, a question uh, that I would have liked uh, to have put to Michael Healy Ray, uh, but uh, <laughs> still scratching my head uh, as to why Michael Healy Ray took issue with me there this morning but he did and he, he hung up on us and left us abruptly uh, and fair play to him he, he's uh, entitled to do that uh, but uh, that is a question that I would have liked to have asked him uh, instead uh, because he's not here maybe you'd answer that question for me if you'd like to make comment on this or something else uh, that you've been hearing already this morning our telephone number is 041-983-2000 that's 041-983-2000 you can text us or whatsapp us on 086-1800-658 that's 086-1800-658 or you can email michael at lmfm.ie Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now, there really is uh, a sense of shock in Ratoth uh, with uh, the killing of a 30-year-old Romanian woman uh, on Saturday and uh, friends and family are being uh, paying tribute uh, to uh, the deceased Miela, who was 
uh, removed uh, from her home uh, on Saturday evening uh, and uh, apparently a man is in court today being charged uh, with Iona Mielis. Uh, death, uh, smooth road to heaven, my beautiful sister, you left a huge pain. Uh, the message from her sister, uh, a friend says, I can't believe you're no longer among us. I'm speechless. I will never forget you. No excuse for what happened, said somebody else. Uh, a good friend uh, described her as precious, saying you were special. You left such a void in our lives that will never be replaced. I can't explain with words how I feel. You were just an angel. A part of my heart is somewhere gone with you. We will never forget your sweetest, kindest heart. And he will never be forgiven. You really need to be able to take the life from someone like her, someone who everyone loves and appreciated so much. She was so great, uh, says uh, that friend. Uh, let's speak to local independent councillor, indeed, uh, the chair of Mead County Council, Nick Killian, who's on the line. Uh, and uh, you have your constituency office actually in Riverwalk Court, Nick. Good morning, Michael. Yes, indeed, I have. Um, looking down onto the excuse me, the car park of Riverwalk Court, that's where I operate my my advice centre from. And it's extremely sad. Uh, I've been there this morning already talking to people coming in and out of Tesco Express and people just can't believe that that has happened in Ritholz. And obviously everybody is concerned about the family and receiving such awful news about their daughter. And there's there's a deep shock and a deep sympathy as well for what the photograph in the paper, uh, a beautiful uh, looking young lady Mm. who has been taken as such an early part of her life. She'd only just turned 30 and uh, I understand uh, from reports that she had only recently moved into Rettos. Well, what I'm told is that she moved in about two weeks ago into the apartment where where this unfortunate murder happened. Mm. It, it really is a, a dreadful situation. And obviously, uh, it's the subject of a, a guard investigation. It'll be before the courts today and the courts will adjudicate on it. Uh, but it has obviously taken people aback a, a uh, from what you're saying about how everybody seems to be talking about it in uh, the town today. Well, you know, it's, I suppose, natural enough when, when a murder happens in a community, uh, and we've had two in recent years as well in, in Rathos, um it does get people to stand back and, and take stock. But in this particular case, this uh, beautiful um, young girl taken at such a, an early age, um, people just can't get to grips with why it happened. And um, obviously people are anxious to know why did it, such a murder happen at this particular time in that lady's life? Well, undoubtedly, that's a, a question that will be asked by many and uh, for some time to come. Uh, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure it's a, a question that even the courts can answer. No, not not at this stage. No, what I, what I would, would say is I'd like to congratulate the uh, Ashburn Gardaí for their swift and uh, immediate tackling of this particular situation and uh, how they uh, acted uh, in such a speedy manner. Okay. Um, another incident uh, that uh, occurred locally uh, and a dreadful attack uh, that uh, I know you're particularly concerned about that took place in Ashburn on Friday. Uh, it did. It did indeed. Um, look, this was a vicious attack that took place when children were coming home from school, and uh, it's despicable what happened. Uh, the guardie were on the scenes very quickly. Um, a car was broken into, a man was taken out of it, and uh, 
because the photographs show very badly beaten. So, you know, not a very nice situation at all. Hmm. When, you, when you say a car was broken into, uh, I'm not sure that that um, gives the full picture for people listening because the man was obviously in the car with the doors locked uh, and they put the windows through before taking him out. Well, what happened, as uh, the video shows, is that uh, there's a man in a grey car. Uh, two people came and they smashed all the windows with hammers. They dragged the man out of the car and they uh, he was beaten up. And this is not acceptable uh, in this country. And it has to be stamped out that such a situation can happen in a car park in front of children coming out of school at three o'clock in the day. It's despicable. And um, I know the Gardaí are investigating. And another incident happened uh, further uh, up the road. Mm. Uh, And do we know if they were connected? Um, they were connected and I believe that was nearly, I believe, was a worse incident uh, from what I, I gather. I'm not sure of the full full details as to why it was happening. There's lots of rumours circulating uh, in the Ashburn area, uh, but it did happen and people were beaten up uh, and cars wrecked. But what concerns me is, is when it was done and how it was done in front of young children coming out of uh, a school and how frightening can that be uh, for the parents, for the children? Uh, it's just awful. And we have to stamp out this type of uh, unnecessary violence uh, that's happening in this country. Mm. And again, again, I know the Ashburn Gardaí work extremely hard, but again, it comes back to something I've been saying many a time, and you've heard me say it, Michael, we do not have enough Gardaí in County Mead. We're one of the lowest number of guards per head of population in the county, and we have to get... Ashburn is growing, Rathodes is growing, the whole area is growing. We need more Gardaí brought into the Ashburn district. And uh, the Chief Superintendent is well aware of that. He attended a public meeting recently in Rathodes. So it's not that the Gardaí are unaware at a senior level, um, but the Gardaí on the ground are definitely doing a good job in dealing with these instances very speedily. I I must say, I saw the wounds of uh, one of uh, the victims in uh, these attacks I, I really had to turn my head. Uh, I, I thought it was a bullet wound. It, it wasn't, and I should say, but it, it looked like a big hole in the back of this man's head. Yes. And I, I take it that that he received that after being hit by a hammer, and that that hammer would have had to have hit him pretty hard to create such a, a big hole in the back of his head. Uh, I hope he's okay. Do we know anything about the victims? No. Um, well, there's certain rumours going around, and I'm not going to comment uh, on that, but. From the perspective, I've seen the same photograph you've seen, Michael, um, and it's just obnoxious to look at and and to have to for anybody to have to see that. And that's gone viral, so that's not good. That means that people are seeing something which I don't think they should be seeing mm. uh, because it's not good, and uh, it has to be stamped out. I, I don't know why these things happen. Why people can't settle whatever differences they have in the peaceful manner. We, we can all um, have our difficulties and our arguments, yeah. um, but let's try and solve them in, in a way that's peaceful. Mm. Um, argumentative, yes, but peaceful. Uh, and do we know uh, about the attackers? Uh, will they be recognisable? Um, I don't know. I, I, I looked at the video the same as other people did. Uh, one of them had, um, what do you call it, balaclavas on them. So, um, 
I'm sure the Gardaí might be able to, with their forensic people looking at these pictures, might be able to identify their perpetrators. Okay, now I, I take it that the concern here is that there's some sort of feud on, uh, because it, it wasn't just an attack, it was an exceptionally vicious attack, followed by a second exceptionally vicious uh, attack. The fear must be that there'll be more such attacks and retaliations. Well, that's the worry in Ashburn at the moment, that there could be, uh, this could be a feud, it could be differences between families, and that it could break out again. But I have to trust in our local um, Ashburn Gardaí that they will deal with this in a very effective way, and hopefully whatever has to take place to stop this happening again will will be done by the Gardaí. Mm, yeah, and not the sort of thing that any of us want our, our children, I wouldn't want to see it, as I say, I had to turn no. away from the photograph, let alone witness yeah. what happened, uh, and the thoughts of young children witnessing such violence uh, on the streets in broad daylight, uh, beggar's belief. Unacceptable. Okay, Nick, thank you indeed for All right, joining good morning, us. Michael. Much appreciated. That's Independent Councillor Nick Killian, who's uh, the chair of Mead County Council. Now, let me bring you some of uh, the comments coming to us. A couple of people in touch with us. Uh, we were talking about tourism at the start of uh, the programme, uh, and Pat was in touch, and he says, Michael, hotels are pricing themselves out of business. They're too greedy, uh, and this is rip-off Ireland. Thanks, uh, Pat, uh, for that. I don't think, uh, by the sounds of... <laughs> Uh, how concisely Pat put that that he'll be convinced otherwise a uh, uh, listener in Navin says we witnessed a, a, another brawl at the GAA game in Parnell Park on Saturday spectators also got involved fighting each other the GAA keeps giving us the same old bladder about isolated incidents etc Gardaí attend a lot of these games and why aren't more people arrested and charged if it happened on the street it would be assault becoming more common uh, and it's time Time to stop the waffling and time to start acting, says that listener in Navin. Thank you indeed uh, for that. I think it's a, a very valid point uh, because uh, it, it was a riot of sorts, uh, or at least that's what you would call it if it happened on the streets, as our, our listener says. Uh, but I don't remember ever hearing of anybody being charged after such a, an incident. Uh, I think usually what happens is uh, that a, a player is suspended for a, a game or two or something like that. Uh, but it, it's different because it happened during a game. It, it's not a violent order incident, apparently, or allegedly. Uh, Thanks uh, to uh, another person in touch with us on WhatsApp, feeling so sorry for that woman uh, who lost her life in Ratoth. The government will have to do more uh, in terms of vetting people coming into the country. Uh, thank you indeed uh, for sharing that thought with us as well. If you would like to make comment on the programme today, by the way, we would love to hear from you. You can phone us now. Our telephone number is 041-983-2000. That's 983-2000. You can text us or WhatsApp us. Uh, the same number for both, 086-1800-658. That's 086-1800-658. And as always, you can email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Thanks, by the way, to Finton, who was delighted to hear Michael Healy Ray hang up the line on me this morning, saying it's about time somebody put Michael Reed in his place. Uh, that I don't allow people to talk without talking all over them, and it's incredibly frustrating. Finton says uh, that more people need to do what Michael Healy Ray did today: cut their interviews short if they're not given the chance to speak. What is the point in bringing people on to the show if uh, they're not given the chance to talk? Thank you, indeed, uh, Finton. 
Dixon uh, for that. Uh, I just thought Michael Healy Ray had lots of time to talk and I was just asking him about uh, the reason why the British, he made the point that the British, I think he made the point very clearly that the British had not taken in their fair share uh, of refugees from Ukraine and I was asking him if that was because of uh, uh, a British attitude towards immigrants in general and to the reason for Brexit. Uh, but uh, I don't know. He hung up. I still, I, I'm still scratching my head. Anyway, uh, let's talk uh, about the British now. Uh, in fact, and uh, Brexit, uh, as uh, I suppose was uh, the subject of that, uh, and indeed how this thing continues to rumble on and probably will rumble on for some time to come, but probably not uh, uh, as long as maybe we feared a couple of months ago because of uh, the change in premiership. We've a new British Prime Minister, we've a country that's under pressure for an awful lot of reasons, and there is some optimism at this stage that Rishi Sunak's regime is on the brink of doing a deal over the Northern Ireland Protocol. I think we all recognise that the protocol is having a real impact on the ground, on families, on businesses in Northern Ireland and threatening Northern Ireland's place in the United Kingdom. And I want to resolve that. I'm deeply committed to the Belfast Good Friday Agreement. I want to see the institutions back up and running in Northern Ireland, because that's what the people in Northern Ireland need and deserve. I discussed this with the Taoiseach. We had a very positive meeting. And what I want to do is find a negotiated solution, preferably. And I'm pleased with the progress that we're making in these early days in this job. And my focus is to try and find a resolution here, get the institutions back up and running. That's how we're going to deliver for the people in Northern Ireland. Right, that's the British PM, Rishi Sunak, speaking after the meeting of uh, the British Irish Council meeting last week. Let's speak... uh, uh, to Fine Gael MEP Colin Markey. A very good morning to you Colin Markey and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme. Are you hopeful that there will be a deal on the protocol and if there is a deal on the protocol does that mean that Rishi Sunak is about to sell out the DUP? I certainly think there is a little more enthusiasm around it. I suppose, look, there's a difference between positive language, which there's been a lot of in the last week or so, and actually people changing their positions because I suppose the positive thing was definitely there was a much more focused dynamic in terms of trying to uh, be proactive, I suppose. Now, that didn't change necessarily people's positions on it, but I think uh, certainly there was a sense that people were, were up for, for having further conversations, were, were, meaning, were trying to meaningfully move things on. And I suppose when you, li- when you look at it from the EU side, the point was very clearly made that the difference between green lanes and express lanes is very little. No checks and minimal checks is very little. That in reality, what we're talking about here is a lot of people moving unilaterally and we're talking to somebody else or else people or politics getting in the way of it. Mm. So I think like the reality is the protocol as it stands is working reasonably well and it's a case of, I suppose, getting over the politics of it. Mm. And do, 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 do people in Europe uh, understand the politics of it uh, or is there this sense uh, that it's no-brainer? Why would they not do a deal? When you're speaking with the MEPs from the other 26 European countries, are they expecting a deal? I don't think they're necessarily expecting a deal that quick, but I do think, in fairness, we were always concerned that as time went on, let's say the Northern Ireland situation would become less a priority in terms of the the overall picture at European level between wars and energy and all that. And it was made quite clear last week that the Northern Ireland Protocol and indeed the overall uh, withdrawal situation as regards Northern Ireland is front and central of people's minds still, which was reassuring, I suppose. And the fact that the UK government certainly is 
the mood language is better. Mood music, if you like, sure to say, is better. And that 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 would make people a little more hopeful. But I, mm. I still think there's a journey to travel, you know. Yeah, well, there certainly is. Uh, and politics is uh, the big obstacle, uh, because if there is a, a deal, uh, it will be a case of selling out the DUP, will it not? Uh, and maybe you don't want to use that language, uh, but it, it, will a deal create a position that will continue to make it impossible for the DUP to take up their seats if they're to have any credibility? I think it's about finding it. Like if you talk, when when there was green lanes, if you like, the UK protocol bill was acceptable to DUP, whereas what's been proposed by, by Europe is is not a million miles away from that at any stage. So I think it's more about a finding a, a formula of words and a scenario that accommodates a position while not necessarily moving particularly far. I think as much as I think Europe has reached very far, Europe has talked about minimal checks and even talked about the UK have been the ones to, to manage those checks. So the reality is that Europe has come extremely far on this, but I think it's about a cooperation from here and that's, that's the biggest point. Like at the end of the day, if you've an internal market, you can't just have no checks into that internal mm. market or it's not an internal market. But if you say, we, we want checks, but we want to make you minimal, we want you to take mm. responsibility for doing them, and we want express lanes, which are very similar to your green lanes, then really it's, it's, there, there's, there's almost nothing here to, uh, to oppose. Uh, yeah, First someone's position becomes untenable. Uh, uh, no, no, that's, that's, that's looking at it logically. Um, uh, this has really got little or nothing to do with logic. Uh, it's about identity and perceived identity. Political positions, yeah. Yeah, uh, and if that political position, as you put it, is that we're less British than they are in Manchester or Liverpool, uh, that's not going to be acceptable. Yes, but I think what we have to do from a Northern Ireland perspective is look at the future of Northern Ireland. And, and this is not to be in any way at all nationalist about it, but to say, like, do you, the Northern Ireland's position is not to be compromised within the UK and is also to create the opportunity that it has a unique status within the EU, so in terms of access to the EU. So, like, I think at the end of the day, if you talk to the people on the ground mm. and if you talk to the ordinary people in the north, there, there's a real sense that they just want to get on with this. <laughs> yeah, they want to get yeah. on with their lives. Yeah, and yeah. some of the politics could get left behind, too, and there's an election coming down the road. So I think people have to be conscious of that. I think there, there might be an appetite on the ground mm. for excessive posturing on this either. OK. Uh, while you're with us and before you leave us, uh, maybe you can talk to us uh, about a conference uh, that's uh, being held in Dundalk uh, this week. Uh, you'll obviously be hosting this uh, along, though, with the EU Commissioner, Mairead McGuinness, and it's to look at uh, the fallout of uh, some of the problems uh, that the tech industry is undergoing and the layoffs that are ensuing as a result of that. I think it's as much to look at the, well, the, the opportunities as much as the challenges. I suppose the, the, the vulnerability we have in the sector at the moment is that we're dependent on foreign direct investment and large international companies uh, coming into Ireland to establish. And, and, and if they've changed their position, then we're very vulnerable. But with the expertise that we've built up in this country at this stage, there's absolutely no reason why we can't develop an indigenous sector here in Ireland with all those skills. And what we want to focus as much on as anything is the, the opportunity that's there to establish an indigenous industry, and in particular an indigenous industry in the northeast here, where we've talked about the FinTech M1 corridor, which is essentially that, that space between Dublin and Belfast, where we can, where we can build, a, if you like, a, a centre of excellence, if you like, or a 
skills capacity and work in conjunction with, let's say, the education sector to develop the skills. They work in conjunction with the industry. The point is, in Ireland, we have a vast resource of skills because of all the FDI that came into the country in that space over the years. Now what we want to do is flip that over and create the opportunities for Irish companies establishing. And from the companies we've talked to, their biggest challenge has been recruitment to try and get people. And the reality is, as much as this is a massive problem, and I fully appreciate the position of people who've lost their jobs, it also creates an opportunity for us to create something much more stable, which would be an indigenous industry here in Ireland. Okay, and you're inviting people to join with you to uh, discuss all of this uh, on Friday, is it? Yes, on Friday. It's on Friday in the Ferris Hotel in the Dock. Uh, we're starting off from 11, with, with a view to being up and running for 12 o'clock. We've Mairead um, McGuinness, the, the commissioner who is financial services, is her remit, is going to open up as keynote speaker, and then we're going to have two panels. One, I suppose, to look at from the Ireland Inc. perspective, which is very much a fintech Ireland, the central bank, and and a certain amount of interest from industry at, at the national level. And then equally, we're going to look at a more local level between the M1 Fintech Corridor and Enterprise Ireland and some of the local industry as well. Okay. Look at the challenges and opportunities. All right, thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Finnegale MEP, Colin Markey. Michael Reed on LMFM. Interesting stats there in uh, the headlines about how people are going to buy stuff uh, in line with Black Friday and Cyber Monday. 40% of us, uh, apparently, uh, a lot of uh, those purchases, of course, will be made on the internet and a lot of the money spent will go overseas. Let's uh, speak to Neil MacDonald, who's Chief Executive of ISME, the Irish Small and Medium Enterprises Association. Timely to speak to you this morning, Neil, given that Black Friday occurs uh, this week. And uh, on the other hand, you're asking people to think, spend and support local for Christmas. Absolutely, Michael. Uh, thanks and good morning. Um, of course, we're not saying that people should not uh, spend money on Black Friday or, or Cyber Monday. Whatever, kind of, there tends to be a bit of cynicism about these things anyway and the extent to which they represent real sales. But what we are saying is that people should devote at least a, a proportion, a good proportion of their seasonal spend uh, to local spending because you know this is the, the third successive year that Irish uh, retail businesses have faced really uh, challenging trading conditions obviously for different reasons in in 2022 than in, in 2021 and, and 2020 mm. uh, but we really need people to divert at least a, a good chunk of their seasonal spend into local retailers. Yeah, well there's been huge challenges uh, over the last few years, Brexit, COVID, energy costs, uh, but surely the biggest challenge to small and medium business in this country is the internet. Yes, it is. Um, the, the, you know, the, the uh, pandemic um, probably took consumers forward about about a decade in online shopping patterns, and domestic retailers have not been as fast to the party as uh perhaps uh, foreign retailers. But, I mean, let's not forget that, you know, the Amazons and other big companies of the world are are, are massive aggregators for um, other goods manufacturers and so on. I mean, there's a lot of retailers in a lot of countries who wouldn't be able to, to, uh, uh, to sell that much online. It's a whole new uh, sales channel. Mm. Um, 
But but Irish, um, a, a lot of Irish businesses do have an online sales channel and we would ask people to look at those as well. You just look up your brand name and see do they do um, an online or delivery option and a great many of them do. Yeah, I think a lot of them uh, will also be offering in-store discounts, uh, not just on Friday, but over the weekend most likely. Yes, they, yes, they do. And to, to be absolutely fair to our local retailers, that's that's a trend. Uh, they, you know, the, the, you'll see that in your local stores. The, the other thing, of course, the huge benefit for shopping locally, most especially when you're looking at clothing or footwear for for Christmas, is that you actually have a place to bring it back. A very significant amount of online clothing purchases, uh, by by some estimates, around forty percent of them are actually returned because they don't fit. So that's a problem that does not exist when you when you do your clothing and footwear purchases locally. Mm, I think some people like that, Neil. You know, they like that they can get it, try it on, and send it back. I can only speak for myself, Michael, in that <laughs> regard. And I, I no. personally, nothing nothing to do with online retail. Yeah. I would just yeah. never buy anything that I have to try on personally uh, yeah. over the internet, but that's a different thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'd be the same. Uh, I just think that there are some people who, who love the opportunity to try something on if they can send it back. Uh, but uh, there's the old saying of what goes around comes a- around. Uh, and when you shop local, uh, you benefit from it if you live in that locality because it's money uh, in the local economy. Does uh, this is the the old economic concept of the multiplier, and you you spend a tenner in a local shop, a, a huge amount of uh, that ten euro is redistribu- redistributed immediately back into the local economy in the form of wages, um, but also. Um, purchasing for uh, local suppliers so you 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 buy a meal locally or you you go into a local pub well the the butcher the baker the candlestick maker uh, the the they all benefit from that local spend so the multiplier effect is very significant when you spend locally all right yeah there's a lot of pressure uh, on all business on all of us uh, for that matter but on all business with huge energy bills it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Uh, are, are 
some people looking just to get to Christmas, the bu- busiest part of uh, the year, would you expect closures in the new year? Unfortunately, that is very likely, uh, particularly with the energy costs we are looking at, even with the TBEST scheme, which will cover 40% of the increase. There are a great many businesses that unfortunately are not going to be able to pass that level of increase on to their customers, and most especially those that are in in very energy-intensive businesses, such as um, uh, temperature control, retail, grocery, and so on. So it is going to be very difficult for some of those, but, you know, we hope that as many as possible get through. And it does look like there is still a reasonable amount of consumer confidence this Christmas. So that's good news. Mm. Uh, And uh, is there the prospect of businesses managing to stay open in in the new year if people shop locally? Uh, Is that kind of change? Is it that serious for some? Unfortunately, it is, Michael. I mean, there are a great many retailers who um, will enjoy a considerable part of their turnover and their margin within this two-month, two-and-a-half-month period. So if they don't have a good Christmas, that will significantly impact their decision on whether they continue to trade in the new year. We also know that other things are happening in the new year, such as um, uh, the minimum wage going up 8%, which will have... Because the minimum wage acts as a benchmark uh, for other wage rates within a business, that is actually going to drive a significant increase in in wages across the whole economy next year. Some businesses will be able to absorb that and pass it on. Others will not. So uh, across the board, there are going to be a number of significant challenges for for those businesses for the new year. All right. Well, uh, that impacts on all of us, uh, of course. And uh, you're asking people uh, as they go about their Christmas shopping I suppose from now on uh, to think, spend and support local uh, theme of uh, the campaign for Christmas. Thanks Neil uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. Thanks, Much appreciated Mike. as always. Neil MacDonald is uh, the Chief Executive of ISME, the Irish Small and Medium Enterprises Association. Let me bring you some more of the comments that have been coming to us uh, this morning. A few people are in touch with us uh, about Michael Healy Ray and indeed how the TD hung up the phone in uh, the middle of the interview uh, wasn't happy with uh, the style of the interview and a number of listeners agreeing with him saying he was right to do that. Joe says Michael asks a guest onto the programme. Danny, can he please have the manners to allow them to answer the questions without interrupting them all of the time? It's very rude behaviour to talk all over guests the way Michael does sometimes. And Joe says he was disgusted by my behaviour with Michael Healy Ray this morning. Thank you indeed, uh, Joe, for that. Uh, I'm sorry that it sounds that way too. Uh, Some of the interviews I know on the programme are long but realistically the time is very short on the programme uh, and sometimes I, I think uh, and you may disagree Joe and obviously you and others do think uh, otherwise but I think at times uh, the role of the presenter, the interviewer is to get people to the point, uh, to get uh, to the main uh, crux of the matter and to do it within the time frame and I think perhaps people would uh, find it quite tedious to listen to people talking without interruption and I hope that it's never rude. I hope it's more uh, done in a a way of uh, discussing an issue so that uh, you know, there is not just uh, this monologue if you like. Uh, I don't know. Um, Maybe that's... uh, (laughs) 
wrong uh, but Joe uh, not happy and thinking uh, Michael Healy Ray was right to hang up uh, Ray says I, I don't know why you're so confused by Michael Healy Ray leaving abruptly listen back and you'll see uh, how you were making the mistake of butting in no need to be scratching your head wondering why he mentioned other countries not having the same stance as Ireland he listed Britain then Germany and other European countries but the second you heard Britain you jumped in and took issue saying uh, that they weren't in Europe etc uh, if you'd stop to let him finish uh, you'd have heard him mention viable European members like Germany as well listen back uh, says Ray uh, I think uh, you'll discover <laughs> that you're becoming very rude nowadays uh, well thanks uh, for sharing that with us uh, Ray I, I would have uh, asked then about Germany I mean I think that's the point we talked Michael Ely Ray mentioned Britain Britain isn't in the EU and isn't subject to the same rules as the EU which is setting targets for the amount of people uh, coming into the European Union from Ukraine uh, and then we could have spoken about Ger- uh, Germany and other European countries because they are a separate issue uh, that's my argument whether you believe it or not Christine in Kells uh, says another day another woman killed and why when is this going to stop when are women ever going to be safe again may that girl rest in peace uh, says Christine in Kells Alison thank you Alison for your text she says she enjoys the programme every morning but she does wish that I'd let guests speak uh, she wants to hear what they have to say uh, she felt the same way last week with Fergus O'Dowd and sometimes with Damien English when they're on the programme uh, thank you indeed uh, for the feedback uh, we're taking it all on board and appreciate your views and for sharing those thoughts with us and if you would like to have your say uh, about anything uh, that you've been hearing this morning or perhaps something that we haven't been discussing on the programme this morning you'd like to raise it with us on the program uh, you're welcome to call us our phone number is 041-983-2000 so that's 041-983-2000 the text number is the same number as the WhatsApp number and that's 086-1800-658 text or WhatsApp 086-1800-658 or email michael at lmfm.ie Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, the doll heard last week uh, about very long waiting times uh, to get an NCT test. That somebody in Kells has an appointment on the 3rd of May. Uh, somebody in Navin has an appointment on the 18th of May. And uh, there's a motorist in Drogheda who will get their NCT on the 7th of June. I strongly urge vehicle owners to allow plenty of time to book their test. The regulations allow a car to be tested up to 90 days before the due date uh, without affecting the expiry date of the certificate issued. Appointment slots are released released continuously across all test centres, with many also becoming available through cancellations or rescheduling of appointments. So where motorists are unable to secure in an NCT test date before their certificate is due to expire, they should contact the NCT customer service directly and ask to be added to the priority waiting list. And the majority of those um, on the priority list will be provided with an appointment within 30 days. All right, that's the Junior Minister for Transport, Hildegard Nocton. She was responding to Sinn Féin's spokesperson on transport. Darren O'Rourke, who's a TD for me, they stand on the line. This a very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, we spoke uh, about the long waiting times before because this is not a, a, a new problem uh, but it, it doesn't look like it's one that's going to be solved anytime soon or will it? No I, I don't think it's, it will and I think the 
the, the company themselves acknowledge as much. Um, and, you know, it is a, a, a huge challenge for, for people and it's frustration for, for people to try and secure an NCT test. Um, at the root of it is a shortage of capacity. Um, there's a number of factors, some within the company's control and within government's control and some, some outside of them. Um, there's increasing numbers of cars needing NC test, NCT tests because um, COVID has pushed some of it back, um, but also the, the supply chain issue, so there are less new cars on the road, um, fleet cars, you know, so higher cars that in, in the past would have been turned over every couple of years and would never have needed an NCT. There's now literally thousands of those cars um, needing an NCT because of those supply chain constraints. And if you couple that with capacity constraints within the NCT service, um, increased absenteeism related to COVID, um, the, the backlog is, is, is increasing and the, the wait times for, for people are increasing as, as well. And, and there is a, like as the, mm. as the junior minister said there, there's a there's, you know, if you go to try and book a test today, uh, those figures of, you know, in our region, you'd be a way out until the middle of next year. Um, but there is that priority. But there's a consequence well. of it uh, as well. Uh, I mean, this is nobody's fault. Uh, maybe it's the NCT's fault or the minister's fault or the government's fault. But it, it's not the fault of anybody driving a, a car who applies to get their NCT. Uh, when you're notified uh, that you're due an NCT, people generally apply and then they're told it'll be six months and your existing cert uh, is out of date, invalid. And as a, a result of that, you face the prospect of three penalty points, two and a half thousand euro in fines or up to three months in prison. Yeah, and, and all we've heard uh, from Insurance Ireland and from from government in relation to this is that the authorities, the uh, uh, the Gardaí and the insurance companies, that they will be pragmatic um, now, uh, I don't think you can take that to court with you or take that to, to the bank. Um, uh, and I'm sure it's, mm. it's uh, very subjective. Uh, um, now, I don't know. Well, I think it's discretion, it. isn't it? So uh, <laughs> that, that's as subjective, as you say, and will depend on the guard. Uh, the last time we talked about this on the programme, I suggested to people who had a date several months out that maybe they'd print off the confirmation of that date and leave it in their car so that if they are stopped by the guards, at least they can say, well, look, I've applied and waiting for the test. That's hardly my fault. Is that the kind of advice you would give to people? No, that, that's exactly the advice. And that is the, the formal advice, Michael. I think it's important to say that. And, and sometimes, you know, you, you may have a text, you may have a printout. What, what you need to do, and there is a responsibility, two, two important responsibilities. You have a responsibility to maintain your car in, in a, a roadworthy condition. Um, uh, that's, that, that's provided for outside of the NT, NT, NCT system. Um, and you have a responsibility to engage with the NCT uh, service, so mm. to seek that test to get confirmation of it, however far out it is, um, and to maintain uh, proof of that so you can show that, look, I'm doing everything I can to engage in this process. It's beyond my control. And yeah. there is, just just to make that point, and, and the Minister had said it there, 
um, uh, uh, tests become available on a daily basis after 12 o'clock at night, they, they, um, they release additional tests um, for their priority waiting list, um, including in, in uh, you know, cancellations that, that, that arise uh, reasonably frequently. So uh, I've, I've had from a number of people, um, as we've been raising this issue in, in recent days, um, different uh, tips in terms of approach that, uh, as the minister outlined there, um, which doesn't all you know, it, it doesn't always work for everybody. But if you can try and avail of your NCT in advance, yeah. um, you have that ninety-day period that you can apply. But also, if you have your confirmed date and it is way out in the middle of next year, yeah. that if you 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 can check and you can you can possibly get onto the priority waiting list. And in that case, um, if if you give the NCT a call, they may be able to accommodate you uh, much quicker than that. Right. Uh, the minister also told you that uh, she and officials are speaking with uh, the company that runs uh, the NCT tests on a, a weekly basis. It's a private company. Uh, they brought people in from Spain uh, and I think Minister Damien English is uh, making uh, it possible for non-EU nationals to take up jobs with the NCT and 44 testers are, are to be here by the end of the year through uh, that channel. But uh, at the same time, uh, we're talking about people coming from other countries uh, who may not have the same qualifications as those uh, who had been employed uh, in this country to carry out these tests. We all hate the NCT because it can turn out to be very expensive, but we all love the impact that it has had. It's taken the bangers and the death traps off the road. And I, I think the level here is QQI5 or 6, and some of people are coming in at a, a level 5. Are you concerned about that? I, I certainly am, and uh, and and it was confirmed. I have to say, I had been hearing it from uh, the trade unions, uh, SIP2 and Unite in particular, and from workers within the NCT service. Just the the concern, um, because obviously they're qualified at, a, at the QQI six level, which means that you know they have extensive experience. Uh, you know they've they've done uh, four years training to be mechanics. They've done. Uh, two years training uh, on or two two years work experience on top of that, and they've done an intensive training course. Um, and um, they're saying on a, on, on a practical basis that uh, those who are new entrants, and it's not just from from abroad; it's also uh, some uh, significant number of new entrants because the the standard has been reduced for for entrance from from Ireland as well. So so really, from my perspective. My concern isn't where these recruits are coming from. It's that they're trained to the same standard that has been agreed. And the minister essentially confirmed to me in the Dáil last week that the standards were being that that entry requirement was was being reduced from QQI six uh, down to QQI five. And you know, I, I think there needs to be absolute assurance. Um, that, that the, the standard of work is going to be maintained. Um, I would ask the question if, you know, why was the requirement there uh, to, to be QQI6 if they're saying now QQI5 uh, is, is acceptable? And to me, uh, my sense would be that uh, um, it's, it's a shortcut to try and get people in the door and train them on the job. Um, and there, is, there are real risks associated with that with that and there are also mm-hmm. workers rights issues you know if you're if you're there um, and you're QQI6 and you, ha- you have additional responsibility you're also responsible now for training people which you, you might have mightn't mm-hmm. have been in the past so so I, I think 
you know, and it has been said very clearly by the unions, if they pay people appropriately, uh, if they give them proper uh, terms and conditions, they will be able to recruit people at a QQI6 level from Ireland uh, okay. uh, in the first instance. Uh, and if it's not at that level, then there has to be a, a road safety question. Uh, another road safety question for you this morning, uh, Darren O'Rourke, uh, to do with e-scooters. Uh, the Road Safety Authority and Angarda Kana have asked people not to give quad bikes or scramblers uh, to children uh, this Christmas. Uh, but there's also concern uh, about e-scooters. The Irish Examiner is reporting uh, today that the number of incidents involving e-scooters has tripled since 2020. Probably not surprising because there's more of them on the road. But there's been 791 traffic incidents involving e-scooters and 266 collisions this year alone. Uh, on Friday, Angarda Siakana came together with orthopaedic consultants to say that they're very concerned about the dangers of e-scooters for children and teenagers and that's in advance of parents giving them as Christmas gifts this year. They also make the point that uh, it is illegal to sell uh, an e-scooter or a mechanically propelled vehicle to a person under the age of 16 and uh, uh, going back to those statistics in the Irish Examiner, uh, when it comes to the more serious incidents, there's been one fatality and 24 serious injury collisions involving e-scooters to date in 2022. What are your thoughts on all of that? Uh, Because uh, the Transport Committee that you're a member of uh, is looking at the legislation and it seems as though anybody of any age is going to uh, be able to drive almost any scooter anywhere at any time. Um, well, it, well, it, it remains to be seen because the, the first thing I will say is um, technically and it, 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 the, the, the regulations won't be in place for this Christmas. So, so uh, as we, we all know at this stage... Um, e-scooters are, are not provided for in, in laws or in regulations. So, as, as they're, you know, they're, they're not technically illegal, but they're, they're, there isn't provision for them. And at any stage, the Gardaí can, can confiscate them if you're if you're on them in any public space um i think you know the primary legislation that's going that's coming through doesn't actually deal with a lot of the the details in terms of you know the the speed they should go at who the, who should be allowed to ride them where they should be allowed allowed to ride them at, at at what age they will all, that all will all be dealt with in regulations coming from the minister and secondary legislation but i i think we have heard very clearly from across the, the, the spectrum in terms of stakeholders and road users. And I regularly have people in contact with my constituency offices in relation, in relation to this. There is, there is a, a, a clear um, need for strong regulation and equally strong enforcement in relation to, to e-scooters. They are a new technology. There are, you know, there are risks associated with associated with them. I, I think, you know, they are part of our transport landscape at this stage. Um, so I, I don't see a situation where, where they're going to be to be banned outright or anything like that. So so it's the question is, how can they be safely accommodated and, and where is the appro- appropriate place to use them and who should use them appropriately? I think it's clear that 
younger children, um, the, the, the indicated age seems to be that the, in the region of 16, uh, that you shouldn't be using them on, under that age. Um, but either way, Michael, I think it's important that people, you know, who have them and parents who are buying them for older children, um, uh, that's, that's, uh, they, they're used appropriately. You know, they, they, they are associated with, with, uh, uh, increasing accidents on our, on our roads and, and the, the people who get injured in them, uh, are, are, you know, in, all, in almost all circumstances, the users of the e-scooters themselves. Okay, well, it's food for thought, uh, but uh, I'm not sure it's much more than that uh, at the moment uh, because uh, I think there's a a lot of people acting in a way that's at odds with what you've just suggested should be happening, and I think we all see that on a daily basis. We leave there for the moment, though. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme. Darren O'Rourke, Sinn Féin TD for Meath East is his party's spokesperson on transport. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's talk uh, about long-term mortgage uh, arrears. Uh, it's uh, something that uh, people sometimes fall into uh, through no fault of their own. At other times, uh, it's a decision that people make just to not pay their mortgage. Uh, and more than half of home borrowers who are in long-term arrears have paid absolutely nothing at all in uh, the course of uh, the past two years. This is uh, according to the Central Bank. It was reported on in uh, the Irish Times last week. Let's speak to David Hall, CEO of iCare Housing and co-founder of the Irish Mortgage Holders Organisation. And uh, a very good morning to you, David, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. You've been saying for a long time that this is a problem that needs to be dealt with. Morning, Michael. Yeah, look, look. There's no brain surgery involved in this. Um, this is a very simple mathematical equation, where you know we have a lower number of people in long-term arrears than we used to have. And um, I got sort of um, abused, really, from different people when I mentioned that there was a tsunami of repossessions coming a number of years ago, and the tsunami never evolved. But technically speaking, all of these people you mentioned should have lost their homes by now. If we had a functioning repossession system, uh, all of these people should be before court. I'm not saying they should deserve to have their home repossessed, but the process that's as set out by the central bank requires banks, when someone can't pay and they can't come up with a restructuring arrangement or they don't engage, to issue legal proceedings to repossess their homes. And at the time I made the comments about the tsunami repossessions coming, that's what should have happened. Somewhere along the line, the regulator, central bank, decided to allow the banks not issue those repossession proceedings, which is 23,500 households 60,000 people in those homes in long-term mortgage arrears. And now, as you say, the central bank's data shows 14,000 of those haven't paid something in the last number of years. And, mm. you know, when, when you've been reassured by commentators and indeed by politicians and by, to my mind, and I use this word, word advisedly, lies, saying you're safe in your home and you will not have your house repossession, repossessed and there is no tsunami coming. And David Hall is uh, talking rubbish. Um, then you're, that's what's going to happen. So now we've got a situation whereby, and I know I heard Porik Hassan um, the other morning on radio also saying when he was asked by one of the interviewers, what happens if 14,000 people? And his reply is correct. They will lose their homes. And, you know, banks have now had... When, when, when though, uh, how long can you go on not paying anything at all? <laughs> I mean, it's beyond... Well, no, no, I, I think, but there's two different points yeah. here. So mm. there's two different points, Michael, and I, I, I take your point. And this, unfortunately, again, is being spun in a way that's a bit unfortunate whereby and not, not without 
reason that people aren't paying and blaming those people who are in debt. Like banks haven't engaged, banks haven't done restructures, banks have sold loans to at 50% of a discount to vulture funds rather than passing on that option to their customers. So there's a whole host of re- issues and reasons. But fundamentally, fundamentally, if you had a loan of €300,000 and I had a house worth €200,000, your house is now worth 300000 so the bank now has its money recovered by sitting on their hands and not having issued legal proceedings with a market that has increased. But when there's no threat of repossession, and when I warn of a tsunami of, rep- of um, repossessions, as does um, other mm. uh, FLAC and other organisations do the same, saying mathematically this is what has to happen, and it doesn't happen. It's very difficult, if not impossible, Michael, for me to say to clients of the Irish Mortgage Holders Organisation, Michael... If you don't pay your mortgage, you're going to risk losing your home. And the answer would be, you told me that 10 years ago, David. 10 years ago. 10 years ago. I I mean, can you stay in a house and not pay your mortgage for 10 years? Uh, There's obviously uh, 14,000 people who haven't paid it for two years. Sorry, more than that. I'd say half those people haven't paid in five years. This is only limited data for a couple of years. Really? Um, but why? But why would you pay a mortgage now, Michael? Like, and and I'm being very controversial and asking the question. So I, I really got a pain in my rear end when I turn around and say, mathematically speaking, there should be no unnecessary repossessions. So if, if a person can restructure the loan and pay a, a decent percentage of their mortgage, that bank should be compelled to restructure the loans. And they have not been doing so and they have not been engaging. But if somebody sits there blatantly not paying the mortgage, they should lose their home. Mm. And be absolutely clear, I'm not going to defend anyone who's messing Anyone who's not playing ball, one of the biggest mistakes the lenders made, by the way, that I think cost them billions and billions of euros is their own definition of engaging. Everybody should have been made pay a minimum of social housing rent as a mortgage. Mm. That's what should have actually been the entry level. But I'm not going to defend anyone who's messing, anyone who's intentionally holding back money and not paying a bank. I will defend people who have made every effort, as I have done on behalf of many thousands of customers. And we in the Irish Mortgage Holders Organization restructured over 20,000 loans on behalf of people. There are banks who are messers, banks who are being ignorant, banks who've been dysfunctional, banks who've not been engaging. So it's not fair to say, but this is a very unfortunate report Mm. that's truthful and honest, but is now trying to demean and reflect badly on those people alone. A handful of them are messers, but they're now in grave danger because people have told them there's no tsunami repossessions coming. Why would you not feel safe when academics and commentators and journalists have said, no tsunami has come. The question they should have been asking is, why hasn't the tsunami come? Mm. Why are people still in their homes having not paid a mortgage? Yeah. Um, because of inaction, is it? Well, if you have 23,000 people in long-term mortgage arrears, yeah. there should be 23,000 legal proceedings before the courts. There are 7,000. Of the 7,000, by the way, 5,000 have been there for four years. Mm. That's inaction. So why is it that there hasn't been a bombardment of legal proceedings? When I made my comments around a tsunami, that's what should have happened. It was an honest, truthful uh, evaluation of what was coming next. However, I didn't realise that the regulator was going to say to the bank, see, lads, back off. You don't need to issue the legal proceedings. Um, Don't mind the code of conduct. Don't mind the the regulatory framework that isn't isn't black and white. And I'm not saying that the central bank said the following, but what's happened now is that the property prices have increased and the banks and the vulture funds have benefited greatly by their asset value have increased so the negative equity is no longer the case. But how and what happens, Mary and Joe? Like, are we going to get 14,000 or 23,000 free houses, Michael? Like, it's a very serious conversation that needs to be had because people have been fooled by listening to commentators and commentary around free houses and no tsunami. If there's no tsunami and you haven't paid your mortgage, what happens? Do we all take out the guitar, sit around and sing Kumbaya and say, 
your lovely, lovely bank, lovely, lovely vulture. Hello, Mr. American Vulture. You're a lovely, lovely person. Am I getting a free house? <laughs> God, right. Uh, um, I, I shouldn't laugh, but I, no, I thought... I'm getting a free house. Uh, like, uh, I, yeah, I no, a, well, I thought you were very funny. Uh, and, I want, uh, and I want to take up on that point because uh, the average amount of owed, uh, of money uh, uh, that's outstanding is 240,000 uh, and uh, the majority of them are more than five years in default. Now, if your mortgage was, let's say, a, a thousand a month, uh, over 12 months, that would be uh, 12,000. Uh, over five years, that would be 60,000. Uh, if uh, it, it was 2,000 a month, over five years, that would be 120,000 on a, a house uh, that you owe 240,000, but you've managed to save 120,000 over those five years. Um, no wonder people aren't paying. Yeah, and and, and that, that my point is that the central bank has a code of conduct of mortgage arrears that banks are required to adhere to. That is a very step-by-step plan, and it comes to a stage. By the way, within the data, which the central bank slightly disingenuously didn't release last week, which is there on their website, um, that they released two years ago, the banks and the the vulture funds told the central bank two years ago that they believed that of the 24,000, as it was at the time, of people in long-term mortgage arrears, that based on the evidence they had seen, 16,000 of those households would lose their homes. Now, that's not David Hall saying that. Mm. That's the banks and the vulture funds, and it's up on the central bank's website. They were asked a direct question. Not only did they answer the question by saying 16,000, Michael, Mm. they went into detail and said how many would lose it by voluntary surrender and how many would lose lose their home by court-ordered repossession. And they also went on to say that 11,551 people had engaged with them, but they could not find a solution for them. And they further said 12,500 we're not engaging. I don't believe the 12,500 figure because the banks are as, as culpable of not engaging as some customers. But nonetheless, that is the level of data that's out there. So everyone else sitting around saying, oh, there's no tsunami coming. Mm. David Hall was wrong and Paul Joyce and Flack was wrong. There's no tsunami coming. But why would there be a tsunami when you don't? You can't get a repossession order if you don't apply for one. It doesn't mm. come down in the magic garbage. Okay, well, living rent-free or mortgage-free, as uh, the case may be, may be very attractive uh, to those 14,000 people. And but there might be a lot more doing it soon, Michael, with yeah. the cost of living crisis. Well, that's why it. You, Increased interest rates. Why would, you, mm. why would you pay your mortgage and not go into the queue of 23,000 and knowledge? You could, like, I think it's a very, very difficult situation. And those people who are in those homes are now at a much bigger disadvantage. They're 10 years older, Michael. Mm. You've already done the maths in relation to owing more in arrears. Mm. Their job length of time is much less in number of years they can work. Their their number of years they can add on and pay their mortgage back and do a restructure is 10 years less now. This is a very difficult situation they've been put in because of a false sense of security that they wouldn't lose their homes. A grave injustice has been done to them. Yes, they have a responsibility and they've messed up themselves, but a grave injustice has been done by the truth not being said there's a risk of losing your home. And for those people now facing into the winter, uh, with great interest rate rises and cost of living, they've got a decision to make. Do I feed my family? Do I heat my house? Do I travel to work? And do I pay my mortgage? Why would you pay a mortgage when there's 23,000 in the queue ahead of you who haven't lost their homes? God. Shocking. David, I have to leave it there. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us this morning. David Hall is uh, the CEO of iCare Housing and to the co-founder of the Irish Mortgage Holders Organisation. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's uh, speak uh, to Labour councillor based in Drogheda, P.O. Smith, uh, where Gardaí have seized over, seized over a, a million euros worth of uh, cocaine. 1.1 million euros worth of cocaine seized when Gardaí stopped a, a car in Tully Allen. Uh, would it be a very surprise to you that there would be so much cocaine floating around in a town the size of Drogheda? No, absolutely no surprise to me at all, Michael. And a good work done by the Gardaí, I have mm. to say. Well, Fantastic absolutely. work yeah, done by yeah, the Gardaí. Yeah, yeah. uh, but no surprise to me because, <clears throat> I mean, uh, I've seen a significant increase in cocaine over the last couple of years. And it's surprising even during the pandemic mm. uh, where, you know, people were at home in the house and they were using cocaine uh, in, the ho- in their own homes. And, like, that was before a report came out back in June or July this year from the Health Research Bureau mm. that showed <clears throat> there's a 170% increase in the use of cocaine among young people in, in Ireland. Mm. And they averaged that across uh, towns and villages, not just the cities as well. Mm. And that is tying in with what we are seeing here in Drada as well. It's okay. a significant increase, 15 to 24-year-olds. Mm. Uh, bear with me for a, a second, please, uh, Pio, because uh, we've uh, some breaking news just coming to us, uh, which uh, I think... Uh, will certainly be of interest to a lot of people. I, I think uh, most people in the country will be very saddened to hear the news this morning that Vicky Phelan has passed away. Uh, we'll hear more about that in the bulletins through the day. Just uh, going back uh, to uh, the issue of cocaine, though, in the Drogheda area, a million euro worth of cocaine. Uh, do you think that would be possible to buy cocaine in Drogheda today if uh, the Guardian FC is that much? No problem buying cocaine and drugs today. Really? Yeah. Or any other. Okay. How, uh, ma- how many people would you estimate? I mean, this is an impossible question. Yeah. Use cocaine in the drought area uh, because let's say it was ten thousand spending a hundred euro a week. You'd be talking about uh, a million, wouldn't you? Well, you would. I mean, I remember trying to do some maths on this before. I mean, the weed market and drought is probably worth about three to five million. The coke market is probably worth between one and three million a week. For, yeah, you know what I mean. So. Like, you know, the demand is massive and it's it's across all demographic groups. And like, you know, I've seen it there, uh, particularly when I've seen a number of things happening. I've seen people across uh, different war categories, uh, you know, young people in mm. particular. And uh, they're getting into trouble with cocaine, they're getting into trouble with their partners, they're getting into trouble with, with debt. I've seen... I've spoken to two business people in the last couple of months who were approached by people that they knew mm. and asking them would they be able to store a container on their premises, this type of stuff for, you know, uh, yeah. a, a few bob. And like, it's that brazen. And the supply is there, the demand is there. And to be honest with you, like, I, I don't really know how we're going to, to stop it. Now, what the mm. guards are doing is fantastic, but... Again, is, it, is it only a minority of people who get into trouble? I mean, I'm sure, like you, I know people who've been taking cocaine for years. Yeah, well, if you take 100 people to take cocaine today, about 10 or 15 of them will develop a problem. Right. The rest of them won't. Yeah. And they'll use for a while, probably use for a couple of years, uh, you know, weekends, etc. And mm. then they just go off it yeah. after a period of time. But for them, the 10, 15 people that do use, do get, get into a problem. They're huge problems. It's a huge problem then, mm. you know. Yeah. And uh like you could pay, I don't know, a couple of grams of cocaine could cost you over hundred euro. So it, it's it's a uh, it's. Uh, what, what 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 would that do you for? Is that a night's worth uh, or? Well, generally speaking, you see people going out <clears throat> having a few beers, and then when they get so far with a the drink, uh, they can take some cocaine, 
and the depending on whether you're smoke whether you're using cocaine or crack cocaine uh could hit you after five one to five minutes and then could last for about you know peak for about 30 minutes and then mm. the effects of it could last for about an hour afterwards de- mm. descending crack is different uh, and crack is very big in Drogheda by the way oh, nice. mm-hmm. so uh, that hits you very quickly you get a high very quick quickly out of it but it goes very quickly it's cheaper mm. and then you have to go looking for it again right. and uh, I think at this point in time in Drogheda in particular I don't know about Dundalk or stats mm. in other towns but certainly crack is significant mm. okay uh, and uh, you're a bit of an expert on this, to say the least, uh, not just because of your work on the ground uh, as a councillor, but you work in the Red Door Project as well. Uh, and you see what's happening to people when they get into trouble. Uh, you're at the coalface. Yeah, you can you can see even talking to people in, uh, uh, on, in, ta- in the uh, you know various estates across town, even now canvassing, you're talking to people and people will start talking to you about it like, and, and mm. the problem about it. And uh, like when you think about the average force, the average age of force uses around 14 or 15. That's for cocaine now. You know, that's that's very, very worrying because mm. you've got a young person in secondary school, probably around junior cert, who's heading out probably, you know, meeting friends mm. and they might start dabbling in cocaine. The mm. brain isn't fully developed. And Maybe smoking weed during the week at school. Possibly. Coca- cocaine at the weekends. Yeah, yeah possibly. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, mm. it's probably pe- people listening to this today who have got children or grandchildren and, and they're in that age category. I'm not saying every one of them are doing yeah, it. Yeah. But, you know, I think we need to be aware of the fact that there is a significant portion of people, young people doing this between mm. the ages of 15 and 24. Okay, the gang problem has died down. Um, the Guerin report mm. promised a, a lot. Uh, we had the progress report uh, and uh, we had some different opinions uh, on the programme last week uh, uh, about the pace of change. Uh, what are your thoughts on it all? Well, <clears throat> overtly the gang problem has died down. Mm. But if you take the last five weeks, there's been two houses. One that was attacked, that was innocent pensioners in it. Uh, it was a mistaken identity. And then uh, another house then was got the windows put through and... Uh, uh, with a petrol bomb, and uh, but two weeks after that, one. so <clears throat> that's that's going on. Number two, in terms of uh, the report, there are some very good t- par- parts of the report, but I think there's 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 some of, some of it that's not happening. So we've got communities that need an awful lot of help. We've got young people that need to be reached, and I don't see the pathway for us to be able to get into those young people at that point mm. at this point in time. Now, there's still a long a, a bit of way to go in regards to it, but you know I'd like to see money being put behind the report as well mm. and well and there has been money uh, maybe not as much as was promised uh, but there has been money for the red door uh, mm. and there's also that money that 50,000 for the needle exchange program are, are you disappointed that that hasn't transpired yeah i think that's going to happen very very soon yeah. i think that's but it's slow isn't it uh, yeah, it, it, yeah, it is it's slow it's you know yeah. it, it, that's the problem with it i mean it is mm. slow like that money has been allocated the program just isn't in place yeah yeah uh, and uh, but, but it, I'd say it will be soon, probably in January of this year. Yeah. Yeah. But certainly in, in terms of trying to get into the communities and, and give the people that they need uh, a bit of support and help, I think that's the next part of it that needs to happen. That needs to happen quickly. Mm. Yeah, and that's dealing with the problem or putting out the fire after the building has gone on fire. What, what, what about prevention? Uh, I think there was great hope at the time of the Guerin report that there would be some programmes put in place that would steer young people in a, a different direction. Yeah, and it's been limited to some extent. Boomerang have done a good programme in regards to trying to reach out to young people uh, with alcohol and drug use. And But it need, there needs to be a more sustained uh, effort because, I mean, you know, you're talking with 15, 14 and 15-year-olds are starting to dabble. I mean, you know, weed use in the town is massive and it's massive among young people. It's nearly getting, like, as if it's normalised now. So, I mean, 
young people are getting uh, into drugs at a very early age and they don't realise, as none of us ever did when we were young, let's be honest about it, mm. the effects that this can have for us for the rest of our lives and particularly for the next 20 years after we start using. I mean, you know, if you start using cocaine today uh, and you say, I'm going to stop, and then you actually do stop, there's a gap of eight years on average. Mm. That's what people are facing. And, you know, you know, we see people coming in with with partners and you see people talking about their, their children and, you know, you know that they're going to have a long hard struggle over a period of uh, of years mm. to be able to reverse that and sometimes it's longer and sometimes it's shorter yeah, but that's yeah. the average yeah uh, and uh, I suppose if uh, people are thinking well I've been taking it or I know somebody who's been taking it for years and not a bother uh, just to bring them back to that point you're saying 10-15% of people will have a, a problem and when they have a problem it's a real problem a very very significant problem that yeah. disrupts mm-hmm. families that disrupts businesses that people lose their houses people become into debt the, dr- the, the gangs then come in and they give them uh, they give them credit and then that's pulled back then mm. and then you, you know you have to pay back okay you know. alright not making the headlines perhaps but it's a problem that hasn't gone away you know thank you for coming in to us P.O. Smith <coughs> Labour Party Councillor based in Drogheda that's our programme for today Maggie McGuire Research Chris Murray was in the control tower I'm Michael God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM good morning bye bye The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 087 660 4237.